Welcome to the sermon podcast for New Life Church's Cabot Campus. We are located at 3400 West Main Street in Cabot, Arkansas. Our service times are Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. To find more information about what we believe, upcoming events, and more, please visit newlifechurch.tv or you can text the word Cabot to 88000. Uh, I'm excited about today and the message that, uh, that I've got ready for you, but before we get into it, if you're new around here, there might be a couple of you that don't know, uh, you walked into a lot more than just a local church. Uh, first of all, it's important for you to know, we are not all about the name on the front of this building. We are all about the body of Christ, the universal church. That's what we're about. We're about what he's doing, how he's working through us and in us, and it takes all of our local churches, the Bible-believing churches in our community to accomplish everything that God's got for us. And I'm thankful that we have those churches. We pray for a different church every weekend in here, and I'm thankful for all the different flavors of churches because it takes different flavors sometimes to reach different people. Uh, if you look around this room, y'all are all different. You, you look different, you, you have come from different backgrounds, some of y'all look cool, some of y'all look goof, goofy, you know, we just, we got different flavors in here. And, and I know that the, because of who the Holy Spirit is, the Holy Spirit, he's interested in reaching people, and so if God was gonna buy ice cream, he would shop at Baskin 30 Robin, or Baskin Robbins because of all the flavors that are there. He likes different flavors, and I'm thankful for them, but we're also part of a bigger vision that is New Life Church, 17 campuses across the state. And, uh, and with the vision of reaching this state. We know we gotta work with the local church to do that. Uh, but it was established by my friend and my pastor, Rick Bazette. And uh, he's the lead pastor uh, over all the campuses. Uh, he's like the Paul Paul of the church now because he's got grandkids. So he's Paul Paul Bazette over the church. But before I get into my message, we're gonna spend a little bit of time and hear from him what the Lord's been putting on his heart. It's all about vision. That's where we're gonna be camping out for a while. But I want you guys to hear from him. If you have notes or if you have something to take notes on, I want you to do that because even if, even if it isn't around the notes of the sermon, I believe that God is gonna to speak to you very, some of you very specifically today by his spirit. And I wanna make sure that you're ready to take that down. And some of you are like, no, I got a pretty good memory. No, I've learned. Like when the Lord speaks to you something, it's good that you get it written down. Uh, you need it written somewhere so that it'll get in your heart and so you have something to show to someone later on when God fulfills that word. But before we get into my message, let's listen to Pastor Rick. Hey everybody, I'm Rick, one of the pastors here. My wife and I, we helped to start this church 21 years ago and my voice is not normal right now. So I know it might be a little hard to hear me or a little agitating, and I'm sorry about that, but I just, my heart is full for vision right now. And I've noticed that sometimes before you have vision, you have to hear vision. And some of you haven't heard from heaven in a while. So I'm going to talk to you about an experience that changed my life recently. And, uh, and I think it's intense, but it certainly relates. All of this reminds me of a Boudreaux story, if you'd like to hear it. Boudreaux, his wife is Marie, and she was losing her hearing, and he was worried about it. And she didn't even believe it, it was true. He couldn't get her to the doctor. So he gave up, he was playing golf with an ENT, 
And he said, man, my wife, she's losing her hearing. I'm telling you, it's not good. Maybe you've heard me tell this story. In the end, he said, well, just bring her in. He said, she won't go. She's so hard-headed. She don't think she's losing her hearing. It's a mess, man. And he said, well, just go home and do this test to her. Stand about 10 feet behind her and say something normal at a normal pitch or the volume normal. And if she doesn't hear you, go to 9 feet, 8, 7, and figure out where she responds and come back and tell me, the number, and I'll let you know how bad it is and what she needs to do. He said, Doc, that is such a good idea. So he went home. She happened to be cooking. He was excited about that. He stood 10 feet behind her, and he said, Hey, Marie, what's for dinner? She didn't answer. He said, Man, she can't hear. He got to 9 feet. Hey, Marie, what's for dinner? No answer. 8 feet, 7, 6, 5, 4, 4 feet away. Hey, Marie, what's for dinner? Still no answer. He goes, man, this is worse than I thought. Three feet, two feet, a foot away. Hey, Marie, what's for dinner? And she turned around. She goes, I done told you nine times we haven't crawfish, Boudreaux. Nine times. This whole time he thought she was not able to hear. And the truth the whole time was he wasn't able to hear. When is the last time? You heard from the Lord. I find right now we can see a lot of people who frustrate us and we go, man, why are they not hearing from heaven or in the word? I'm going to tell you right now, this is a time where you need to check and see what is the Lord trying to tell you to do? The scripture says in John chapter 10, come on church, verse 27, sheep listen to my voice. And not only do they listen to my voice, but I know them and they follow me because they hear. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. The voice of God, the sound of God. Just a few weeks ago, I went to, I went to Poland, Warsaw. The next morning I was going to go to Kiev, Ukraine. Maybe you've read a little bit about that. But for some reason, I wasn't feeling so good. They didn't know if I had COVID or if I had pneumonia. And we still don't know. But that day, they just decided not to let me go. I was going to speak to many pastors, and we were going in 10 hours into Kiev. That night when they got to Kiev, I couldn't sleep just thinking about them. It's a dangerous place to be, to be honest with you. But these pastors there are leading people. And Ukraine's having revival. A lot of people who didn't even believe in God a year ago because of the war, they're running to church. I hear it's an incredible thing to see. But when they got to Kiev, in the middle of the night, these alarms started going off. Because in the middle of the night, uh, they were bombing Kiev. And my friend Dave, he went outside and he started recording uh, the sound, the, the alarms. You probably heard alarms go off because of tornadoes. Maybe you've even heard a tornado before. I've never heard a tornado, but I've heard the alarms because of a tornado. I've even heard alarms based on a hurricane. I've even heard hurricanes being from Louisiana. But I'll tell you what, I've never heard the sound of war 
or an alarm go off saying that there is war. So he sent me this video. I want you to listen to it. Right? This is when all the people are trying to, to hide. And Ukraine's been through a lot of war. Uh, but this alarm going off, you can imagine the fear, and the PTSD, and all the things going with it. When I was in uh, Warsaw, there were refugees who came from all over Ukraine. They had heard this sound. The sound of war. I was with one 13-year-old girl. I had to leave her sick grandmother and a mom there, and her dad had to go to war. He's just gone. She had to carry out her five-year-old brother. The stress on this little girl, beautiful young lady, but a big bald spot on top of her head because of the stress of war. When I heard that sound, though, I thought of Arkansas. I thought of our church. I thought of you. This is what I thought. I, I thought, we're in war. Not as a nation, but as believers we are. And you can hear it. It's real. When you first start going to church, a lot of times it's because of something seriously wrong. You, you could have wounds. You could be addicted to something. You could have a marriage that's just fallen apart. You, you could have so many things and you, you just go, man, I just need the Lord. And you, you run the church. There's a lot of reasons why people would run the church. Sometimes people accidentally bump into a church and realize, I'm in trouble. I need Jesus. I love it when people find the Lord in our church. It's like an emergency room. And then when you're in the church, you ultimately become a family. For 20-something years, I've seen us become a family. But over the last three years, I noticed that, that really we should not just be a family but we should be more like an army. And I don't mean it in the terms of real war, but spiritual war connected to one another, fighting for one another. Listen, if I have to ever go to war, or if one of my kids or grandkids ever has to go to war, you don't really want to be at war in the trenches with your family. You want to be there with soldiers. And I just want to let you know that I can hear the sound of war asking for us to show up. Uh, one time, I was able to go to Normandy, and I saw the beaches, Omaha, and I don't know if you know this, but more people were killed in the preparation for D-Day than actually on D-Day. They started preparing on in November. Obviously, D-Day was in June. And not only that, but the part that bothers me the most about it is that the biggest amount of people, the largest sum of people who were killed on D-Day, it was from friendly fire. But they didn't know. They had these clickers. They were describing it to me. It was like it. 
And in the middle of the night, that's when they showed up on those beaches and they would, if they heard someone else, they would, and then the response from the allied nations or even their own friends was to click back twice. Like, this is me, I'm, I'm one of you. But some of them didn't get that message or they thought it was stupid and they weren't really paying attention to, to the instructions. And so when they clicked and there was no response, they just mowed them down. And the next morning they realized that it was their friends. If we don't understand the magnitude of the spiritual warfare that we're in, let me tell you what's going to happen. We're going we're gonna to start turning and fighting one another. You can see this in a lot of different places. And I want to let you know that the Bible talks about, remember the song we used to sing? We're in Lord's army and we, we fight a certain way and we prepare a certain way. If you look at the armor of God, you can see that it's a, a breastplate of righteousness and a shield and you can see it's a belt and you can see it's a helmet and all of it, it's, it's like we're, we're soldiers, we're with the Lord, let's go. But there's nothing for the back because we should never retreat and turn away. There's, that's not who we are. And right now, I see a lot of us turning away. We're just not like all in. That, that's really what I'm talking about. Maybe my voice is not all in right now, but I'm all in. Which part of you is all in vision. Sometimes before you can see vision, you have to hear the sound. And I just, just want to encourage you to be somebody that gets up every day saying, I'm, I'm all in because we've just lost too many people who were just family and not part of the, like being enlisted. Who do we need to re-enlist? Who do we need to list in? Like, and now I really want you to think about you. Boudreaux was wrong. His wife was able to hear. It was him the whole time. With that in mind, the vision that we have right now, your campus pastors are about to teach you. They're going to teach you about compassion. They're going to teach you about the next generation. They're going to teach you the importance of life groups. And they're going to teach you about prayer. Here's all I'm asking you to do as a pastor. When I, when I heard that video that you've now heard, I started thinking about like we're, this is for keeps. Maybe we're not in war physically with another nation, but the Bible says that we don't fight against flesh and blood but against principalities. And, and man, when you see all of the armor, people talk about the six different armors that we wear. There's seven, and we don't ever count the last one. In Ephesians 5, we always talk about don't live as unwise, but live as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. We read that, but we don't read the first part. It says, wake up, you sleeper. Like, wake up, you can't. Be sleep in order to accomplish Ephesians 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God 
so that you can take your stand against the devil's scheme. This is not like just family here. This is people who are ready, fully in. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities. Hear the vision? Against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, that then it says in verse 14, stand firm then with the belt of truth. That's one. Buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place. That's two. And with your feet fitted with the readiness, that's three, that comes from the gospel of peace. Peace that we need, it can only come from the word of God. In the middle of war, you have to have peace. Vision. You have to hear it before you see it. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith. That's the next one. With which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. But no one ever mentions the seventh one. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Like as a pastor, I love seeing all the requests. It even says, it's challenging, this next part, it's challenging us not just to be a part of the family, but to be all in for one another. It's, it says, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. We can't just stay as a family, a little sweet, sweet family. We have to be there for one another in prayer. And let me tell you something, that's warfare. We get before God and we are serious every day before we turn on our phones, before we turn on the stove, before we march out the door, we get before our God because we are all in. That's our vision. And I think that God is going to move us in, into a place. We're going to change positions where we are to where we should be. And it's all because we're going to hear the Lord say, it's go. And... As your pastor, that's what I'm really praying for. Let's pray as your campus pastor comes up. Lord, we thank you for the things that you're asking us to do. We thank you, Lord God, that uh, you're trying to stir up something inside of us that's paying attention. So we look up. And Lord, as, as Paul was able to somehow pray from heaven, like from an eternal perspective, Lord, I pray that we'll just get out of just all of the things of earth, but we'll see things eternally. Help our campus pastors share vision, but more than that, help us all hear from heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I think when you talk about vision, it's important to, to honor what God has done in the past and recognize that. When you remember God's faithfulness, Thankfulness happens. Confidence, faith happens. And it's important to do that because vision from God, it's a challenge. It can be scary. 
And typically, it's going to be something there's no way that you can do in and of yourself. Uh, just within the last couple of weeks, we just passed, Cody and I passed 18 years of being part of the vision of New Life Church. And I remember when we first said, yes, sir, to this vision, we met Pastor Rick at a conference in Colorado. We were working at a church there. We knew the Lord had told us that our time there was done, and we just started praying about what that meant. Had a lot of great opportunities, some cool places, great churches, but didn't have a piece about any of them. We met Pastor Rick, and we heard this vision to reach a state. And we knew as he was speaking that this is what the Lord had told us to do. But I will say this, we didn't know any of the details of what all that meant. We just knew that God said, this is it. Uh, we didn't know where we were going to live. The first day we set foot in Arkansas is the first day we moved here. We sold pretty much everything we had. We loaded up a small U-Haul trailer and we moved here. I didn't even know if they were going to pay me. In fact, I didn't find out what my salary was going to be until about four months after working here. And some of y'all think that that's stupid. <laughs> and you may be right. But I'm telling you, when God stirs in your heart and calls you to do something, you just go and you trust him for the details. You remember his faithfulness and how he's always taking care of you. And he's not going to change who he is in this time and what he's asking you to do this time. And so we came and I think about how in every season he's prepared us, although there's been seasons in ministry. We've been in the middle of it and I'm like, what in the world are you doing, God? Like, why are we here? What? I worked in children's ministry, like first through fifth grade. If you know my personality, it's like, that doesn't seem like a good fit. You know, I, I, I worked in all these different ministries and, and now in hindsight, it's like, yeah, but God knew he was gonna call me to be a senior pastor of a campus. And it, it was important for me to understand that every season and every phase of life was important and what it was gonna take to reach those generations. And I think about this campus I think about the fact that, honestly, it had a rough start. There were some things we had to work through. The devil did his level best to shut this campus down before it ever got a start from the beginning. But I think about the faithful families that have been around here that have stood in the gap, and they did war. They did war. And you're sitting here today because those people did war on your behalf. They stood in the gap. I think about families like the Wagners. The Rileys, the Moors, they were all here the first service. Think about the Knowles. Think about so many other families that are still around here, still faithful, still serving, still giving, still praying, still believing. And I'm thankful for that. But we are heading into a different phase. And like Pastor Rick said, man, it, is, it has been amazing building the family that God has given us, but it's a different phase uh, because now we need an army. And the one thing I'm thankful for is, as I look around this room even now, I can see people I know, they're already in the fight with me. And I'm thankful for that. Without a shadow of a doubt, I know they've got me. In prayer, in challenge, in encouragement, in accountability, but we need everyone. It can't just be a few. It's gotta be everyone. God is the greatest visionary and most creative being that's ever existed. And if you've surrendered to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead dwells inside of you. And that Holy Spirit can give you a vision and a dream that is bigger than you could ever imagine. 
And that vision is something that when you get a picture of it, it'll give you passion. Even if you don't know all the details, you know when it's from heaven and you'll run after it with everything that you have. And I think some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. I think there's too many of you that don't know what I'm talking about. And I believe that this is the season that God is finally gonna give you a God-sized, kingdom-sized, heaven-sized dream and vision. And it's going to apply to your individual lives and your businesses and the things that God's equipped you and gifted you to do on the day-to-day basis. But in the midst of all of that, you'll have these heavenly goggles to see how his kingdom and eternity is working in and out of that in the middle of the natural. In the middle of the temporary, you're gonna see eternity. It's different than a fantasy. That's something that you can make up. And you know what? It could be good. It could be, um, this is what everybody's doing. And, and you know what? That's fine. But this is what I know. You're gonna have to get attached to something that lasts forever. And I don't mind what you're doing with your kids. And I don't mind what you're doing with your side hustle. And I don't mind what you're doing with all those things. But you just gotta know that at one point or another, all those things will pass away. There is only one thing that will remain, and that is the kingdom of God in eternity. And you're gonna have to get attached to that one way or another. If you're a first time visitor, if you haven't picked this up already, I'm a little intense. And today I'm gonna let it fly. And I hate it for you because I had an energy drink in between services, so it's gonna be a little bit more passionate right now. I'm not gonna try to go long, but I'm gonna go as long as the Holy Spirit tells me to until I feel like this has hit as many hearts and heads in this room as it possibly can, because it's important. I think about Elijah. There was a drought in this land. If you can see the story in 1 Kings chapter 18, and you remember the story from Sunday school where he defeated the prophets of Baal, man. He kicked their butts by the power of God. And they were all showing up with false gods, and, and he just, God just showed up and showed out, and it was amazing. But the crazy thing is, Elijah still had fear. As soon as that happened, he still had fear because he was still letting the temporary and the natural consume him. Because there's this evil woman, Jezebel. Y'all heard about him. How many ever called somebody a Jezebel? I know I have. And she was still after him. And so he was fearful, but he was still trying to seek the Lord. He's doing the best he could. But there was this other godly man, Ahab. And he was struggling too. He was walking through all this. And they're in a drought. They're being hunted by this evil woman. There is war happening around them. Spiritual and physical. In 1 Kings 18, 41, then Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink. I think that's important. I love this. I love this. See, here's the thing. When you start hearing from heaven, you've got enough peace. You've got enough boldness and courage. It's not going to change your day-to-day process. When the word says he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies, it it isn't like those enemies aren't scary. It's just you're not scared of your enemies. You can eat right in front of them because you know who your God is. And so he tells, he tells Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. They're in a drought. There wasn't physical rain. There wasn't natural rain. There wasn't a cloud in the sky, but he could hear in the spiritual. And that's something that needs to hit your soul because maybe you can hear the sound of war, but maybe you can't. But if you can or can't, you need to know what's happening. But you also need to know this, 
There is an abundance of rain that represents the power, anointing, and presence of the Holy Spirit. And when that abundance of rain overshadows all the noise of this world, you can walk in confidence knowing he will wash away all of your pain. He will wash away all of your sin. He will wash away every addiction. That washing rain can heal any sickness, any disease. It can restore any marriage. It can give you a fresh start, a new revelation in his word that you've never had before. Can you hear the abundance of rain? That's what God wants us to hear. For the last year, we've been leaning harder than ever as a church into what is it that God has for us? What does he want us to do? And for the next month at least, and maybe longer than that, we're gonna be talking about this vision, talking about the future of our church. What is God pointing us to? This last Wednesday night, we had a powerful time in God's presence where we worshiped God and we prayed over teachers and students and administrators. Man, it was amazing. God was speaking. The Holy Spirit was moving. I'm thankful for that. The problem is there are only 200 people here. And so I was like, man, I wish more people could have just experienced what we got to experience. This coming week, we're, gonna, we're, we're praying just like we do every year. And you know we've tried every time under the sun to try to get people to show up to pray. And I'm not, I'm not trying to, I know people are busy. I know some of you, you're up, you're, you're seeking the Lord, you're praying. I'm thankful for that. Uh, we've done everything we can, though, to try to get people to gather to pray, you know, and, and it's, it's tough. It's like we, we've tried early morning, we've tried in the evenings, and, and this year we're going to try a totally different time. I don't know if it's going to work or not. This is what I do know. I know when you're desperate enough for the presence of God, it doesn't matter what time it is. You just make things happen. I have seen you people move heaven and earth for vacations, for all these other things that are good, but they're not necessarily heaven-based. They're not going to impact eternity. Maybe if more and more of us were just moving stuff to the point, it's like, no, if, if this is important, and if I call myself a, a child of God, if I call myself a member of this church, then I want to do whatever I can to make it a priority. Give us some feedback. If we're not doing something the way we could that would get more people involved, we are open to hearing anything that you have for us. But this week, we're gonna meet at 8.30. After people drop their kids off, we're gonna pray. And we're gonna pray over students. We're gonna pray over this year, this school year, Tuesday night. Tuesday night, men, we're gonna gather together. We're gonna meet in Conway. Pastor Rick has got a word. He's gonna challenge your butts off. It's gonna be a great night. But can I just say something? Really honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of competitive. It ticks me off that there are more women in this church leading, following after and pursuing the things of God than there are men in this church doing the same thing. There is no reason why there should be twice as many women's groups as there is men's groups. Men, we have got to lead. We have got to lead. God has designed you, created you to lead your family in the things of God. And we've got to make it a priority. So you may not be able to make it Tuesday night. That's fine. We're going to do everything we can. we got food there. We know men like to eat. There's going to be some, some competition between the campus pastors. I probably won't win because I'm not as strong or as athletic as the rest of the guys. It's probably going to be embarrassing. I don't even really want to do it. But if guys want to show up and watch their campus pastor beat me, then they'll do that. But this is the point of all of that. I could care less 
if you don't get arrested by this vision, you need to be seized by it. Like there comes a point in your life when you've got to understand that all the running around you're doing isn't accomplishing anything. And it's, it's like this picture, like when you come to a street and you got kids running all around and you know you've got to stop, but you got this kid that you can't get them to calm down for just a second. They're running all around and next thing you know, they're getting ready to run out in that street. You will reach out and grab them. You don't care how hard you have to grab them. At that point, you don't care if you hurt them a little bit to get them not to run out and possibly kill themselves. And I think that's what the Holy Spirit needs to do with some of y'all. I don't care how hard he has to grab you to get your attention. I don't care if it hurts your feelings. I care if you get it. And you need to get it. You need to get it. Because it's heaven and hell. It's eternity. There's nothing more important than what God is trying to do. So some areas we're going to talk about. We see a church that is being led by the Holy Spirit. In John 16, 13, it says, when the spirit of truth comes, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. All truth. How many of y'all know we need some actual truth right now in our lives? And I'll promise you this, you are not gonna find it on social media. You are not gonna find it in the news. You are not gonna find truth in this natural world. You're gonna have to get connected to the spirit of truth, the real truth. That's the only place you're gonna find real truth. In Acts 4.31, it says, after this prayer, the meeting place shook. Look, I've been a part of some very powerful prayer meetings before. I've never had that place shake. Like, I would like it to. I haven't even had like a little, like, little shimmy, like nothing. Like, I thought, man, it'd be great to do prayer meetings out in California where they're having earthquakes all the time, you know? Like, if I could finish a prayer meeting right when a tor- or a, an earthquake is hitting and it shakes the whole building, like, see, power of prayer, <laughs> you know? Then people would show up to a prayer meeting maybe every once in a while. But here's the deal. The, po- the, the point is this. These people were so desperate after the presence and spirit of God that when they prayed, things moved. It moved in the spiritual, but it moved in the physical, too. And the same spirit that was moving with them is here and available to us now. And he wants to move. But I find he only moves in places where people are desperate enough for him that nothing else matters. I've seen it in foreign countries. I've seen it in places where they're so poor that all they have is Jesus. We don't have to give up all the blessings that God has given us to live in this nation. We just have to prioritize that his spirit is more important than all the stuff and put him first. 48 times in the book of Acts, it gives this phrase, they prayed, or after they prayed. It's showing time and time and time and time and time again, they went to the Holy Spirit. In the New Testament church, we see it is on fire, changing the world, turning everything upside down. And that church was not leaning into their own talents or counting on their abilities to get them through their, with their wisdom or their knowledge. They were completely dependent on the Holy Spirit. And they prayed, and they had some issues that they needed to pray for. And I promise you that none of the struggles that we're dealing with now are any different. There's nothing new under the sun. They had the same issues and same struggles back there. It just manifested a little bit different. But they prayed about them. They prayed about adversity and, and 
what do we do about leaders that we need? Opportunities, about generosity, about everything. They were desperate to be led by the Holy Spirit in everything they did. And what were the results? We can see that the Holy Spirit was the engine of that church. Like without him, they went nowhere. It wasn't about a man or a personality. And what I've seen is when man starts putting his hand on the church and starts to control it, the world doesn't actually get to see the real body of Christ because man gets in the way. Something else I noticed as crazy as the early church was, as crazy as the issues that they were dealing with was, you know what I, you don't see at all? You never see one person suffering from burnout. Paul never did one sermon about fatigue. He talked about spiritual stuff. He talked about staying spiritually strong. But the point is this, when you get connected to the spirit of the living God, the same things that he was doing for people then, he can do in you too. I'm not saying that there aren't emotional, physical, psychological issues that some of us need to work through, but I wonder if sometimes we wouldn't be dealing with all those things if we were connected to the Holy Spirit. I wonder. When the Holy Spirit leads, he makes what's true in here true for your life too. When the Holy Spirit's leading, some things are spontaneous. Some things are strategy. Don't think just because something happens according to a plan that it wasn't the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit can give you the plan for the strategy. But whatever it was, people were operating in authority and power and they had real peace and real rest. Hmm. The strategies of 2019 or the ideas of 2018 are stale bread. We can't count on that. You know, when God gave manna to the Israelites, it was daily. It was daily. They couldn't even store it. It would go rotten. God was saying, you're gonna have to depend on me every day and we have got to get the bread that God has for us for today. And what I do know is this, is God has got some fresh baked bread ready for us. He's got some fresh out of the oven Colton rolls that he wants us to be able to bite into. But we have to hear how he's moving. We have to get dependent upon the person of the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us, to feed us and get desperate for that. We see a church that's pouring into the next generation it's easy for some of us, including myself, to gripe about the younger generation. Gripe about the music and they're just always on technology and they don't play outside anymore. When I was a boy, my parents would send me outside to play all day. We wouldn't come home until it was dark and we didn't have toys. They gave us a stick to play with. And before you know it, we all wind up sounding like a bunch of old, gripey old men sitting on a porch yelling at kids to stay off the grass. You know who believes in the next generation? God does. He believes in the next generation so much, the word of God says that he decides, the, 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 appoints the time and place that every person is born. He appoints it. He believes in this younger generation so much, he is appointed that they would be born and live on the edge of eternity. He is appointed that they would live when there are more lost people than ever in the history of the world. 
More souls that need to be saved than ever in the history of the world. If you ever look at the population curve of the, the population of the earth, it's exponential. There are twice as many people living on earth right now as when my dad was my age. And God is saying, and I am betting on that generation to usher in my kingdom. I'm betting on that kingdom that they're gonna be the ones that make the impact in their schools. They're gonna be the ones that impact a culture that everyone else had written off. Like just button down the hatches and wait for Jesus to return because it's a lost cause. So this generation says, not on my watch, not today. I love this verse in 1 Samuel 17. David's speaking, he's trying to build a case to Saul to let him go and fight against Goliath. I've been a shepherd tending sheep for my father. And whenever a lion or bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I'd go after it, knock it down and rescue the lamb. And if it turned on me, I'd grab it by the throat, wring its neck and kill it. I love David. <laughs> lion or bear, it made no difference. I killed it and I'll do the same to this Philistine pig who is taunting the troops of God. Another translation said that when I would find the lamb, I would snatch it from its jaws. And I think this is a great picture of what we have got to do. Every youth ministry from little life to kid life to 412 to real life, this is what we're passionate about doing. The enemy is trying to sink its jaws into this next generation and we're saying no. Not on our watch, we're gonna take every one of those lambs out of his jaws. And we've gotta believe in that as a church. Please don't put it or leave it all up to our pastors to do the work that God commissioned you the day that your kid was born to lead them and raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. We don't have as much time with them as you have with them. We will get, do the best we can to rescue every one of those lambs away from the enemy we can. But we need you to help us, please. We're gonna rescue the next generation and we're gonna invest in them. We're gonna give them the best of our resources that we can, the best of our leaders that we can. We've gotta reach the next generation. We see a church where people have an insatiable hunger to grow. Colossians 2, 7. Let your roots grow down into him. Let your lives be built on him then your faith will grow strong in the truth that you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. I like how Job said it, chapter 23, verse 12. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Man, you know, in the second chapter of Acts, it's talking about the, young, the early church and it says they met daily. Like every day. Like probably the closest people to this are the Baptists. The Baptists are at church more than any other denomination, right? But they're not at church every day. They, didn't, they don't gather every day. Every day. If we were being honest, this would be a really bad church planning strategy. Like, hey, I wanna plan a church. Okay, when are your services gonna be? Every day. <laughs> like if I was coaching that church, I'd be like, that ain't gonna work. We live in a day and age where we have to think about what's the strategy that's gonna get the most people to something. Service times on Sunday. If some guy called me, I'm gonna plan a church, when your service time's gonna be? Well, we're gonna start with one. We're probably gonna do 8.30. I'm gonna be like, you're dumb. Nobody's gonna come to your church. Why? 
Well, because studies have shown that 10 o'clock is the optimal service time if you have one service is the church. Every day, they met daily. Why? Because they were so hungry for more of God, they couldn't imagine going two days without gathering together. It was their hunger that determined the model. In other words, they didn't have a strategy. Says, how, should, how, long, how much should we meet? Uh, I don't know, maybe every day. Sounds good. No, it wasn't like that. It was, no, they got hungry, and they couldn't help but meet every day. It was their hunger. Look, I, on the, for the most part, I'm a relatively nice guy, unless I get hungry. If I start getting hungry, I go to hangry probably faster than most people. Uh, it happens. And, and I, I, I can get in my flesh. I'm not very nice. I'm impatient uh, to the point like everything will change. Like the whole schedule is going to change. I don't care what we had planned. All that's changing. Daddy needs to eat. Okay. Uh, I, I, I just, I got, still have metabolism and I want to eat a lot. But there's crazy to me is there will be times where I will go home like in the afternoon or evening and Cody will be there. And my wife, she likes projects. She's always doing projects around the house. She, she, she would, could do her own HDTV show. She's got plant projects. She's got painting projects. She's got some project going on all the time. But it's crazy, though, is I'll get home, and I'll, and I'll say, hey, babe, how you doing? She's like, I'm great. I've just been working on this all day. And I was like, okay, uh, great. That, that's awesome. She's like, you know what? I'm really hungry. I forgot to eat lunch. That's never happened to me. <laughs> there's never been a time. I don't care how busy it is, how crazy my day is. There's never been a time. It's like, well, I just forgot to eat today. No, sir. No, it's ridiculous. I don't understand people like that. I also find that hunger is contagious. Just a few days ago, I was sitting and I was working, and these people brought in some fast food. Now, I don't usually like get tempted for fast food. I try to eat pretty healthy, okay? You know, I'm not hating. I know everybody's got their vices and all that kind of stuff. A lot of you like Taco Bell. It feels like that line is long all the time, okay? But, and I, I'm, I'm right there with you, okay? But, but try to eat pretty healthy. But, but man, these people brought in this fast food and they had some chicken wings. And they sat over there, they started eating those chicken wings. Like right in front of me. Like, I wasn't even sitting there. Like, I wasn't even around. Like, I wouldn't, like I wouldn't want a chicken wing or two or a dozen. <laughs> but here's the thing. While I was watching them, I shut everything down. I shut down what I was doing. I loaded up, and I went to where I know they bought those chicken wings. <laughs> and I didn't even tell my wife this. So I'm repenting now in front of everyone. I went and ordered a big old meal. Like, I think it's supposed to be a family size. <laughs> and I ordered that, and I ate it all on the way home <laughs> while I was driving. So I'm also confessing to doing something dangerous and illegal. Because, man, I just, hunger is contagious. If the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead dwells inside of us, our passion and hunger for the Lord should be contagious. 
When's the last time somebody was around you and they're like, I can see that you have been with Jesus. It makes me hungry for him too. Mm. I'm ashamed to say it doesn't happen that often with me. But it's happening more. And it's going to increase. We have to have a hunger to be discipled. We have to have a hunger to be with the body of Christ. I want to see a church where your quiet time is far more spectacular than anything that happens at a service on Sunday. That what's happening in you is more powerful than any event we'd ever plan, more lasting than a, a single experience that you had. You're hungry. People with ankle deep faith got swept away during the pandemic. I saw it all over the place, whether it was social tensions or politics or bad doctrines or offense between believers. So many people. Some of you are offended that I just said that. But it's the truth. And we held some responsibility in that. But we're not going to do that again. Not again. We've got to get rooted. Also, we see a church full of compassion for the lost and hurting. Matthew 9, 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is great. <laughs> the workers are few. So pray the Lord who's in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into his fields. This is what we do all the time as a church. We're trying not to stress about the size of the crowds and the size of the harvest. We're trying to just go to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest and say, God, please, we need workers. We need leaders. But we have to have people that see things with compassion. Too many of us have gotten calloused. Too many of us drive by needs, scroll past them. We've gotten calloused. That as a church, we've got to reach the poor, the orphans, the kids in foster care, the widows, the hungry, the addicted, the vulnerable, the incarcerated. These are the, this, this is what the word says is pure, true, and righteous religion. That's what it says. So if, you're, if you want to be religious, which I wouldn't encourage you to do that, but if you want to know what's important to the Lord, we've got to be compassionate. You've got to see it beyond the four walls of your house, beyond the fences of your neighborhood, and certainly beyond the four walls of this church. We have got to go to them, love them, reach them. We'll talk more about that. When someone's heart gets out of rhythm, their physical heart, I'm not a cardiologist, and so you can correct me if I'm wrong if you're a cardiologist. Also, if you're a cardiologist, I hope you tithe. But doctors will tell you, I'm just gonna be honest about that. The doctors will tell you that, that when your heart gets out of rhythm, you need a cardioversion. Is that what it's called, cardioversion? Some of you are like, I don't know. Clearly no cardiologist in the room. But basically they have to use electrical currents to zap your heart to get it back on rhythm. You gotta get back on rhythm. 
And that's what I want this day to be. That's what I want this sermon to be. But I want you to have that encounter with God on your own. Because your heart's been beaten for a lot of different things. Determined by every wind of change, every headline, every feeling and emotion, some post, even real serious things like sickness, broken relationships, yes. But don't let your heart be determined by the natural. Let your heart fall in alignment and beat in step with the spirit of the living God. That's what vision can help you do. Get your heart back right. Let's close your eyes, bow our heads. This is always gonna be a church where people can find salvation. And I wanna give that opportunity right now because there may be a couple people and even several people in this room right now that you have a conviction in your heart. You know right now that you are away from God. You're away from Him. You do not have a genuine relationship with your heavenly Father. And the word says that the only way to the Father is through the Son. What does that mean? It means that every one of us, I don't care how good you are, in and of ourselves, we are lost in our sin. We're lost in our sin and we can't pay the price for that. And God's plan was that he sent his perfect son, Jesus, as a perfect sacrifice to die on the cross, to pay the price for your sin that you couldn't pay for. So that you could have forgiveness of sins, but he rose from the grave. Your sins would have been paid for, but he rose from the grave so that you could walk in freedom from sin so that you could have a purpose, so that you could have vision for your life. But you will not have that if you have not surrendered to him. And I would say to you today is the day of salvation because he has always pursued you. He has never given up on you. He's just been waiting on you to respond to him, to turn to him. So in the first service, as I gave this invitation, there were about six to eight people that came down to the altar before I'd even finished. And maybe that's what you need to do today. Maybe you know you need to move towards God. But I'm gonna ask you to take a small movement if you know you're away from Him. And I'm not gonna embarrass you, but would you be bold enough just to admit, I need Jesus, I'm away from Him. I know I am. And if that's you, I want you to put your hand up right now just to say that's me. As a sign of faith and action, I wanna say I'm away from him and I need him. You can look at me as soon as I see you, you can put your hand down, I got you. Yes, sir. I'm away from him, I'm away from Jesus. I need to surrender my life to him as my Lord and my Savior. Yes, man. Anyone else? I need Jesus. Got you, bro. Love that boldness, come on. Yes, ma'am. Come on, Jesus wasn't ashamed of you when he hung on the cross for your sin. This is a good time not to be ashamed of him. Got you, buddy. Yes, sir. Anyone else? You might have thought you were gonna be nervous because of the crowd you're walking into, but you knew in your spirit that God was calling you to a relationship with him. 
you knew before you ever walked in the room. It's like, man, I know I need to get right. And you just responded and God's gonna honor it. Anyone else? Okay. If you raise your hand, we're just gonna have a conversation with the Lord. You don't have to worry if you say exactly what I say because it's not the exact words that get you saved. It's the condition and position of your heart. You raising your hand isn't even what got you saved. But it is something that's gonna release some faith inside of you right now. So let's just talk to him, say this, say, Jesus, I need you because I'm a sinner and I can't save myself. But I believe, I don't understand all the details, but I believe in faith that you came and you died on the cross for my sin. You rose from the grave, you defeated sin and death itself so that I can have the hope of heaven, but so that I can also have purpose in you. Help me to see what you see. Help me to understand your love. Help me to grow in an understanding of your word. Help me to be led by your spirit. Help me to be tightly connected and not just the family of God, but the, God, the army of God. Help me to find my spot in biblical community with people. I surrender my life to you, Lord. I need you. I don't want to live for myself anymore. I surrender to you. If you just said that prayer, I encourage you, tell somebody. The word says, when you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. So, so tell somebody. Soon as the service is over, and when you can, declare you're a Christ follower through water baptism. That's the physical representation of what just happened in your heart, and it's important. Father God, I pray. As we close out this service, we're gonna worship one more time. I pray that you just remove distractions, including the distracting thought of we need to get out of here. We need to go. God, I pray that we would learn to wait in your presence, to be still and know that you're God. But I pray that as we do this, that you begin to open spiritual ears to hear the abundance of rain. God, would you do that? In Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna worship God one more time and, and I wanna let you know, we, we got our prayer team down here. Uh, we have these cards underneath these crosses on the side. If you wanna write down a confession, a prayer request, somebody you're praying for something for your own life. Uh, we're gonna worship God with our giving. And again, it takes faithful people trusting a faithful God with all that they are to see God vision happen. So thank you for every person that understands that your willingness to trust the Lord with your giving, with your finances, is one of the things that helps us accomplish the vision that God's given us. Thank you for doing that. I know you know this. God will bless you. I know you don't do it to get blessed. You do it because you know you're gonna reach souls but I know God's gonna bless you. Thank you for being faithful and worshiping God in that way. But I wanna share something with you real quick, and this is gonna take a second. I need to correct something first. A couple weeks ago, I shared about a young lady in our church named Lindsay who had gotten paralyzed. Remember me telling you about that? Okay, what I was wrong about, I heard she was in an accident. I assumed a car accident. It wasn't a car accident, okay? She fell and got badly hurt and was paralyzed. So I just wanna correct that because I know there might be somebody out there who's like, that preacher over there at New Life making up stories at church, you know? And so just wanted to clear that up. 
But the point is this. The point is people started praying for her. And while she was in the hospital, her legs began to move. And the doctors couldn't explain it. People were freaking out because it started to happen. And last Sunday, she came to church, though she was still in pain. And she was, she's having to use a, a walker even to come to, she was, almost didn't come to church because she was in so much pain, but she came anyway. And, and her husband and myself, after service was over, we went and we laid hands on her and we prayed for her. And I didn't know this in the moment, but while we were praying to her, the pain went completely away. And right after that, yes. But I wanna let you know, that is good and God is good. But why is he good like that? Because it's what happened next. Because as she was leaving, she actually folded up her walker, just walked, I don't, you know, it probably looked kind of silly. She's like, I just got this walker, carrying it. But I want her to come up here and I want her to tell you herself. So Lindsay, can you come up here real quick? Give her a hand. I asked her if she'd be willing to do this. Be, be careful, come. Lindsay, please don't fall. Okay, <laughs> okay. I was actually scared of that. Okay, we got you. Okay, so just share in your own words kind of what happened. Okay, um, well, you covered the most of it, oh, the sorry. basis of it. No, 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 it's fine, it's fine. Um, you know, in the hospital, and I guess I can probably go back and touch on details because details are important here. Um, the brilliant doctors had no idea, like how in the world, can't move your legs and then shoot them up. Shoot the legs up and move my toes and move them all around, scared the nurse, scared my husband. He was so scared and praying to the Lord on the way to the hospital. Please God, you know, we've been through so much in the last year and it was prayer to God during that time in the lowest moment and he came back and I could move my legs. It was amazing. Is amazing. And then years of back pain, this illuminated it almost. It made it so much worse. And after the prayer, walked out, like he said, no pain. But the next day, me and my children, we went around all around Little Rock. And in every place, I was able to share what God did for me. And it touched that. I don't know if it was a seed that maybe was planted in those people's minds the response was incredible. Their looks, it may have been kind of like, she's kind of cuckoo, but it was a seed that was planted. And I have felt such a passion to share it. And I feel like God healed me in so many ways in my family, in so many ways, because it wasn't just me that felt that. My children were with me that week. They knew the pain that I had that morning and to see it be lifted will forever be with them too. And that was incredible for, in so many ways. So God, thank you, James. Thank you, Lord. I'm, I, I can do a little dance and all that now. I'm good. I shot a basketball again with my son. It was, it was incredible. So awesome. thank awesome. you, Lord. Come on. Come on. Thank you. Be careful, please. Yeah, those are less scary but dark, but they can help you down either way. Okay. Come on, let's praise Jesus in this room. Okay. But here's the point. Has God ever touched you? 
Has God ever touched you? He, maybe he touched you physically, but if you, you're soul bound for eternity in hell, and God reached down by the power of his spirit and he touched your heart and he gave you an eternal address change. God touched you. It should be evident to somebody around you that God has touched you. There should be a testimony on the tip of your lips all the time about how God moved in your life and saved you from yourself. So yeah, God can heal physically. The physical stuff's not as big of a deal to God as the eternal soul stuff. We are more than overcomers by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. So we need to have those testimonies. If nothing else, let the abundance of rain and the sound of that stir inside of you that you've been given a testimony that somebody needs to hear. And let the Holy Spirit open up an opportunity for you to share it.